Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What's going on, guys? Joe McCall, the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast is here in the house. I'm glad you guys are here. We got a great episode today. We're going to be interviewing a new friend of mine named Victor Reynolds, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects lately, land investing, vacant land investing. And this guy's been doing it a long time. Victor has a very active Facebook group, and a lot of people were recommending. So I put a post out there saying, hey, who would you guys recommend to have as a uh, interviewee? for the podcast, talking about land investing, who's actively doing deals. And several people recommended Victor. I reached out to him. I said, hey, can I get you on the show? And he said, yeah, sure, let's do this. So on this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things land investing. And we're going to be kind of asking questions so that you, if you've never done a land deal before, have never heard of a deal like that before, can learn a little bit about how it works. And hopefully it piques some of your interest into getting into it as well. All right. So I want to do something here. If you're listening to this, Thanks for listening to the audio podcast. Appreciate you guys. This is also going to be on a video on my YouTube channel. So if you have not subscribed to my YouTube channel, that's my big ask today. Please go to YouTube, do a search for Joe McCall and subscribe to the channel. I do videos about two or three times a week on there, interviews like this. I just finished one earlier today where I was actually showing you on the video. It's called REI Secrets. It's a series I do on my channel called REI Secrets where I showed on today's episode how I go into counties and look to do some research on picking a county. And this, this can apply for houses and for vacant land. All right, so go check out my YouTube channel, subscribe, and uh, click the bell for that notification thing. And I would really, really appreciate it. All right, so let's bring Victor in. Let's see if I can find my mouse here. Oh, where to go? There it is. Ah, sorry about that. Victor Reynolds, how are you, my man? I'm good. How about yourself? Nice. Thanks for being on the show. So where do you live, Victor? I'm in San Francisco, California. Oh, man, I love it out there. Beautiful. What part of San Francisco? So I live on the south side of the city. Um, I was okay. born and raised out here. So I'm very close to the outskirts where, you know, on your way to Silicon Valley, where yeah. I used to work a lot. So it actually worked out well for me. I used to live in Antioch. Do you know where that's oh. at? In the East Bay area. Nice. And there's the there's a delta out there where um, uh, there's a bridge that goes over the delta out there. There's a power plant. And I worked for a company in 2000 that helped start that power plant and helped build it. Fell in love with that area because like you're within the, anywhere you are in San Francisco Bay Area, within a 15, 20 minute drive, you could be in one of the most beautiful places, a park, the ocean, the mountains, just there's so many things to do out there. It's incredible. Absolutely. It's the only place I know that where you can like drive to the snow in the morning and in the evening be at the beach in warm weather. I, I don't know any places that you can, you can also do that. So. I, I think it was uh, Mark Twain that said the coldest he's ever been. <laughs> San Francisco summer. Yeah, he ain't San lying. Francisco summer in San Francisco or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, he ain't lying. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. We ha like unlike the, every other part of California. I guess because we're somewhat surrounded by cold water, we get very cold weather all year long. We get a lot of fog because of it. It's kind of crazy. So when we're seventy degrees, we're out here celebrating. But then yeah. we drive fifteen minutes outside the city. Like it's like a hundred degrees. It's it, it's so strange, but you know it is what it is. It's funny watching a Giants San Francisco Giants baseball game in the summer, and you'll be seeing the teams by wearing <laughs> long sleeve shirts. But you know, any of you guys listening to this, if you get a chance to go out there, 
You know, Victor, one of the markets that I just did a, a little challenge. Well, we did a free little three-day challenge, and then we did a little boot camp. And I picked a county in Northern California, Siskiyou, Siskiyou County, down by, up by Mount Shasta, so oh, probably okay. a couple hours from where you are, and picked a market. And I actually started doing some direct mail to kind of document what I was doing and got a great property under contract up there, maybe nice. offline. I'll show it to you. But I don't know. Have you done much land investing in Northern California there? I used to do some in Lake County. So it's about two hours away from here. It's one of my favorite stories. I like to tell a lot of my clients and students that, well, I know we're going to get into the land stuff soon, but yeah, like, yeah. I, I even tried to find a property so I could take pictures. I couldn't find it. I'll oh, you drove there. there. You drove out there too. Oh, yeah. I drove. Well, I didn't drive out there just to take pictures though. Oh. I was selling the properties. Uh, this, this is a whole story. I don't know if you want to get All into right. it now. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. You want cool. So now? Victor, um, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get started in this business? And talk about what you were doing back before. Okay. Well, living in San Francisco, I was a software engineer for 11 years. So I worked in Silicon Valley. I worked in the city. A big part of my day was commuting. Now, was it in the city? Public transportation. Makes it easy. It's annoying, but you know it is what it is. When I'm in Silicon Valley, which is what, 30 minutes drive south at minimum to about an hour south of San Francisco, there's traffic. Even though more, more suburbs, people, right? Yeah, exactly. So even though more people are heading into the city than leaving the city, you're still going to hit a lot of traffic because Facebook's out there. Google, Microsoft has a campus. Obviously, you had Stanford University and a bunch of smaller companies. So as I'm driving out there, I'm just sitting in the, I, I, I have a 240SX and it's a nice car, but I'm like, I'm just in traffic and I'm watching cars in the carpool lane just zip past me. And back in 2016, Teslas were starting to be like a real big thing. Yeah. So I'm like, damn, I want kind of one of those. How does that work? How do you get to the carpool lane and pass this traffic without having to have some random in your car? By the you know? way, do they still do that? Do they still allow electric vehicles to use the carpool lane? Yeah, but not as much. Like, yeah. so like if you buy a brand new one, like my wife bought an Audi uh, e-tron last year, I guess a couple of years ago at this point. You only got you only got one year to do that. Now you actually have to have people in the car, so they're you know that's, they're ruining everything. But whatever. Um, <laughs> so I'm watching people drive by. I'm like, oh, okay, Tesla. See, I heard about them. What's electric cars? That sounds neat. I'm a car guy. Nothing, something new to jump into. And I looked up the price. I'm like, yeah, I can't afford one of these. Yeah, I'm that would I you know paying mortgages. I got a kid. You know what can I do? So I went on some podcasts. I heard about land investing. Of all the things I've heard about, I'm like, this sounds like something I can actually stick to. So I don't know if you heard of the Land Geek, Mark yep. Milski. He had a he had a course back then. Plucked down fifteen hundred bucks. Didn't really know much about it, and I just started to follow what had happened, and it worked. My first nice. mailing, I got two offers. One, I bought a property for one hundred and four dollars, wow. and the other property I bought was for four hundred and something dollars. So the first one was one hundred four dollars, four hundred and forty, one hundred and four dollars. Right, okay. like nowadays, I couldn't buy me and my wife a fancy dinner, but yeah. I bought a property in the middle of the desert. So you know, good times. It took a while to sell that property because at the time, there's a lot of things I didn't know that I do now. And But once I did, I sold it for $2,000. For The $100 property went for $2,000 and the $400 property went for $4,000 and, and I'll change. Wow. The people I sold to, you know, they did what we call terms. So they paid in installments. They gave me a down payment and paid monthly. And it was nice. And the people I met, they were real great people. And I was glad to do business with them. But my mindset wasn't at a place where I can like, hey, I figured something out let's turn it up a little bit. It was just like, oh, okay, I guess this is it. I'm a software engineer. I make decent money. And then by the time I really got going, I was, you know, uh, it was just something I was doing. It wasn't something I, I took seriously. Does that, that make sense? Yeah. You kind of were uh, maybe a little too comfortable in your normal job, right? Uh, I definitely was. 
I, I definitely was because, you know, I was making six figures. You know, my wife was doing okay. It was easy. You know, land investing is real simple. I didn't have to think. I made a little bit of some some code to kind of organize myself and to kind of get things going. So I thought I was, you know, I thought I was hot banana, Mr. King Dingaling, just doing my thing. But um, I didn't realize the power of the business model. Okay. Um, I didn't realize what I was leaving on the table. And it did that that understanding didn't come until much, much later. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that what year was that again? 2016? Is that what you said? Yeah. So 2016, 2017, when I was kind of doing it, I was doing a lot of stuff in Nevada. A lot of the newbie land investors are told to go there because it's really easy to get property there. And I don't know if that's still the case, you know, six years later, but back then it was, I, again, it was my first mailing, not knowing anything. Yeah. And I, I got two offers, accepted offers out of that. So. so then how many deals did you do during that little time frame there? Uh, that will probably be, so 2016, 2017, I want to say about 12, 12 deals, 14 deals, somewhere around that, you know, just going slow, not really, again, just didn't take it seriously. I didn't know what taking something like this seriously meant. I just knew that, okay, well, I just got to make sure I get these mailers out. And back then I used to mail them by hand. So oh. I don't know if you can see the printer behind me, but print yeah. them out. Me and my wife used to stuff envelopes, put a little stamp on them, big old stack of envelopes, drop them off in the mailbox and sit there and wait. I can kind of see it there, but that's all right. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you're doing the envelopes by hand. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. All right. So then you well, you just dabbled kind of in that for a few months, a year, maybe? Yeah, about a year or so. And I was having trouble selling some of those desert lots. And then that's when I met my actual coach who actually took me under his wing. And he's like, dude, you're doing this all wrong. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, what do you know about you know due diligence? What do you know about these deed types? What do you know about real estate law? What do you know about sales? What do you know about marketing? I'm like, yeah, I don't know much. Uh-huh. So you know, I got a coach and then things got better. But I still didn't see, you know, I, things were better, but I still didn't see how can I make this my thing? How can I make this an actual like business as opposed to a still a side hustle with a side hustle mentality? I had more skills. I started to get a little bit of that mindset work about how to really think about money, how to think about yourself, your place in the world. But I wasn't putting it all together because I couldn't see how things would work because I was so used to doing things a certain way. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Okay. It took a while. Well, you know, you're you're more of an engineer, intelligent, smart, engineer, technical type of guy, right? Absolutely. And so I can imagine, because I can kind of relate. My I had a degree in civil engineering, and I love computers and all that. But I've had the challenge in my getting into real estate of like overanalyzing things, right? And having to know all of the answers, all the what ifs, all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed, a blueprint from A to Z, the beginning to end for every deal. And like, you just can't find that. Was that a struggle for you as well? Oh, 100%. And that's probably why it was so tough for me to see the potential in what I was doing, because this is what we're doing. We're finding a valuable asset and we're getting it for cheap. Like that alone should have told me if I can just get more of these assets and there's so many of them out there, I can write my own ticket. But I didn't see it that way. I saw like, oh, this is a lot of property that most people don't want and it's hard to sell and it's dirty out there. And I can't never, you know, it was all these stupid excuses that didn't make any sense. So you were still making money doing it. You were still doing well, right? Yeah, you would think to a logical person that was like, you know what? You may not understand it, but it's working. No, I didn't get it. It just didn't make any sense because it wasn't the same. My paychecks for my job are a lot more. I'm hearing about these other internet marketers driving Lamborghinis and all that. Now I know that these days that may not be what all that that glitters isn't gold or whatever. But back then I'm like, oh man, that sounds amazing. How come I'm not driving a Lamborghini? 
oh, well, because I'm getting these stupid payments for 200 bucks a month and I'm buying, selling property for about $1,500 total. Man, I'm, doing, I'm in the wrong business. You see? Bad, 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 dumb thinking. Just so That's stupid. funny. That's funny. So uh, back then, were you selling them just for cash or were you selling them on owner financing? Well, before I met my coach, Ken, I was doing the owner financing thing and I was really making no money. And I was, when I was trying to brag to my friends, like, yeah, all I got to do is get 20 more of these properties. I'm making $2,000 a month. And even as I said, I'm like, that's the dumbest thing. Like, this is hella work for what? So I was mad about that. Met my coach. He's like, yeah, that payment stuff is stupid. You only do that if you have to get cash. Otherwise, how are you going to quit your job by making three, 400 bucks a month? You got to be able to sell for cash. You got to do it quickly. So that way you're bringing in thousands of dollars every month. And then you can kind of build off that much more easily than you can. Because like, hell, you do a payment thing. You can't even buy your next property if you're going to look strictly from the business profits until you like had like six months in. And that's like, like, that's stupid too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it it just, it was like a bunch of mixed signals and not really sitting down understanding what I can do and and all that. So a little bit of cash, a little bit of terms, but there were still small amounts of money. All right. So then what happened? Well, so I'm getting, I'm getting lured away from the internet marketing thing and sales on, online and all these other things and, you know, Amazon, FBA and all that, other, you know. Okay. So stuff. Victor, let's put this in context a little bit. You're an entrepreneur at heart, right? Absolutely. And uh, so you get, you're getting a ton of shiny objects. We're in some of the same circles, right? Mm-hmm. I got a bunch of double comma club awards right here on my wall. Nice. And I don't like showing them off because my main heart and soul is in real estate, right? But like, mm-hmm. Man, it is so easy, isn't it, to get tempted with the latest and greatest crypto, mm. e-commerce, affiliates, <laughs> market, affiliate marketing, you know. So like, oh, that's interesting. You, you struggle with those same things. All right. Oh my God, yeah. I'm telling you, man, I'm like, oh my, they're living a lot. From a laptop? I can't do my business from a laptop only. I got to get on the phone. I can't do this internationally. I mean, obviously, you didn't. I didn't think there's other ways, but yeah, like they make it sound so easy. I got to get up. I ain't got to talk to nobody. I just couple look at my Facebook ads. I'm like, oh, I'm in. So at this time now, I'm working at Warner Brothers in San Francisco. We're working on some mobile games, DC Legends. We partnered up with Niantic to work on the Harry Potter uh, Wizards Unite oh, game. Awesome. Um, so we're, I'm, I'm doing all that. But the whole time, that siren song, like, ooh, all this free money out here. Are you ready to take advantage of it? So I'm like, okay. And then I'm dealing with office politics. Didn't like that. It was all bad. So like around my birthday, I remember came home from work. I was frustrated. I was mad. I'm pacing. My wife's like, "What's? why are you so upset? And I'm, I'm explaining what's going on with the, the office. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to quit. And she's like, yeah, you should quit. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you should do it. And I did not expect her to say that because she's a lot less ri- risk averse. You know, she's you know, no risk. Now I'm, you know, I bet on myself a lot. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I talk a lot of trash, but I'll, I'll do it if I have to. But she's like, you should really do it. You're, you know, you only live one. Your stress levels are high. You're miserable around this house. I don't like that. So figure it out. I'm like, you know what? You're right. So how do I? It was 2018. I quit. I'm like, I'm done. I'm out of here. Finger, middle fingers in the air. Had a trench coat. Fuck. I was out. All right. <laughs> After that, I'm like, I'm going to be the affiliate marketer I, I was training to be. I'm going to close sales on the phone. Right. Notice I'm not saying anything about land investing. So as did you go to, by the way, did you go to traffic and conversion and funnel hacking live? Those events? I'd have done those, but I did similar ones. I did have my own ClickFunnels account for a while and I was doing what was called AWOL and I was called Full Stack Marketer. Dan Locke has a, at the time, high ticket closer yeah. like certification thing. And I was like, oh, I can make sales on the phone. I'm doing everything but land investing. I tried to become a business coach without having a business, which was dumb. I wrote a book, which actually really good. I did a lot of self-development stuff during that 2018 you know, year before, right before I quit. 
Okay. Uh, so that also kind of pumped my head up a little bit. Like I can do anything. It wasn't wrong. I still needed a plan, but you know, that's a different story for a different yeah, day. Yeah. Good old Dan Locke. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mistake All right. Anyway. Mistake <laughs> Go ahead. Made. Well, to be, to be fair to him, he did teach me some stuff that I really, I still use to this day. It's just the way he does his business model. I don't necessarily, um, it doesn't fit for me. I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. It just doesn't fit for me. But with that said, I'm trying to do that. I wrote a book, which as I said, I poured all of my personal development stuff in that book and I'm proud of the book, but I wasn't making any money. 2019 comes. I grew up with my grandmother in San Francisco. She, after a long bout with dementia, she passes away. That's April. In August of 2019, so a few months later, my grandfather dies. Hmm. October 31st, I'll never forget this. I'm sitting here working, stressing about money. I get a call. First, I get a text from my sister. She just says, mom, question mark to our family group thread. After that, maybe about an hour later, I'm like, what was going on with that text? Because it didn't sit right. Why would she say that? And nobody replied. An hour or two later, I get a phone call from my sister saying, my my mom has been killed by my little brother. Hmm. He had a, he had schizophrenia bipolar, you know, all types of other things. And Halloween is his favorite holiday. So on Halloween, he decided to wake up and, and stab my mother 41 times. So oh, it was tough. It was tough. So sorry. Yeah, it, it's, it, it still is tough, but it's obviously I went through a lot of therapy to the process and I can tell the story without much of an issue. But at that time, I actually found one client for a business that wasn't, that client wasn't working out well for me. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm running out all the savings I have from my high paying job is pretty much gone. I didn't know what to do. And so after a couple of months, it's now 2020 of January. I'm on Craigslist about 5 a.m., like looking for odd jobs. So I can just like, maybe I just need to run more Facebook ads. By, by the way, everybody, if you don't know this, this Victor lives in one of the highest uh, cost of living, most expensive places in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap. I don't know if you own your house or you're renting, but it's not no, cheap. We own, so a lot of pressure, Yeah, a lot of pressure. You know, my wife is like, what are you doing? You know, but she's upset because obviously she's going through the grief and it's only been a couple months since the whole thing happened. Coach Cutler called to me. He's like, dude, what have you been doing, man? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, you need to get back with me. Look, just pay me this amount. I'm gonna get you right again. And at the time I had, I looked at my bank account and I showed this, I showed a screenshot of this. I knew at this point, I was like, I, I've hit rock bottom. I'm on Craigslist looking for odd jobs just so I could pay for more ads, hoping something would stick and having no clue what the hell I'm doing. Craigslist. Okay. What do I do? Bank account. Negative $275. Great. I'm overdrawn. That's business. Personal account. It had to be under a hundred bucks. I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? So I had, I knew I had some stocks. I bought some stocks back when I was still working and I sold some of them and I paid for some coaching and I still didn't have money to buy property, but he gave me the new like tweaks to how to do things. And I, I took them and I ran with them. So this was a real estate coach, right? Yeah. My same coach, Ken, that found me, dude, you're doing this wrong. We came in touch. The reason why I separated from him, he had a lot of tough love. He's an old black man. And there's sometimes I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I need that. Other I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't want to hear that right now. But he get, he never told me anything I didn't need to hear. He always kept it real. He always he was honest with me. He was just sometimes, man, when you just think you know everything, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear that. So I'm like, I don't want to work with him anymore. And that's when everything will start to go downhill and the shiny objects came in and all that. So is, is land investing one of his favorite niches in the real estate space then? Yeah. Like he's done like the, the, you know, the single family properties, the vacation homes, the Airbnb, he done all types of other stuff, but land is like his, his bread and butter. Okay. Okay. So he's always working through that. Now for me at that time, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to even buy a property. I don't know where to go. So he gave me some ideas of where to go. I looked at his new curriculum. Most of it was the same, but there's some little tweaks. I'm like, ah, okay. It wasn't long before I had a couple of properties 
you know, to, to, to purchase for about 375 bucks each. I bought them and then I sold, um, he's like, Hey, you know what? I got a sister, you know, this is elderly. You know, I have a sister. She owns some more properties that my parents had before they passed. And now she hers. You should talk to her. We need to sell them all. I'm like, okay. So now I'm on the phone with this, uh, with this nice woman and she's on the fence. She's not sure she should sell or not. And that's when I started using the stuff I learned when my struggling. So from Dan Locke, how to really sell, how to really yeah. Yeah. understand where the person is coming from and let them know, hey, my solution is going to be best for you. And that, if it's actually true. And in this case, it was. And after a long conversation, she decided to sell. So I was able to get about $2,000 worth of property you know, from the brother-sister uh, combo. Well, actually, that's how much I paid roughly. And it, it like, was worth about 8000 8, or so. All right. And it didn't take long for me to sell them all. And I was back. And I just kind of hit the ground running and I had a wow. different renewed focus. I had a different renewed idea of what I can do with this business. I actually started making plans about income and how much things should be for you know this and that because I didn't have another job to pay for the investments. I had to be very strategic with what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of stuff I still have to, I had to figure out back then, but I was make, bringing the money again. My self-esteem started to go up. My self-worth started to go up. The shiny object didn't seem so shiny after a while. You know, I was a lot more focused on what I was doing. And this happened around the pandemic. So it wasn't like there's was an abundance of opportunity. So once people saw that I was starting to do better, they're like, hey, what are you doing? How are you doing this? And then I'm like, well, I can show you. And I started a Facebook group. All right. So that was the right when the p- pandemic started. Mm-hmm. You started getting back into land again. Yes. Um, and so you start buying properties for a thousand bucks each or whatever. And then you're selling them, what, five, six times as much? About, well, but three or four. So the okay. properties I was buying around there were about three, three, between three and 500 bucks. Some selling them about 15, uh, 15, between 1500 and 2000. All right. So people listening to this are really, they're going to be thinking, what are you talking about? You buy land for a few hundred bucks and you sell it for 1500, 2000 bucks. Where? I mean, tell me where it doesn't work. That's a better question. I'm right now, like I, I personally stay away from where a lot of people invest in land. So a lot of people, they jump to the Arizona, the Nevada, the New Mexico. Why? Because you can easily get a desert plot for, you know, some pocket land in a bag of Doritos. Like, okay, great. You still got to sell that to somebody. So now I'm looking at places where people are. So I like to go in the Southeast, not just Florida, but the whole South, yeah. you know, I like to go somewhere. In, I, got, I like Midwest. I like places where they aren't crowded, but there's a lot of land out there. Yeah. And that's where you can find properties that are basically for those, for those prices. Well, you now, can still, yeah, that's a crazy thing. Absolutely. You can still buy nicer land, actually. You have, there's less competition mm-hmm. and there's still a huge demand, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's, it's just funny how it works because people, you got to understand you're buying property from people who feel that the property is a burden. They either bought it when they were younger, they don't use it, they never have, they don't even live in the same state. So they're like, hey, what am I doing paying taxes on something I'm never going to use? Or there's people who have fallen behind on their back taxes. Maybe they know it, maybe they don't, but they feel that burden of owing the money to the county, to the state, to the whatever. And they're like, how do I get rid of this? I tried to sell it with the realtor. The realtor was useless in this situation. I still got it. I paid these. I don't know. I guess I'll just let the county take it from me, right? You got people who, who like, hey, my great, great granddaddy passed away. Now I own his property somewhere. I don't even know where it is. I haven't been there. I don't know anything about it. I don't want to deal with this headache. How do I get rid of this? That's why there's so much opportunity. And these things happen all the time. People are always getting older. They're always changing their life plans. They plan to build a house on a property at one point and then something else happened and now they don't want to do it anymore. So there's thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands of people in these situations that are looking for people like us to help them. Hey, look, I'm going to buy the property. You ain't gotta, I, I ain't got to find a buyer. 
I ain't got to, I ain't going to hold. I'm going to take it right now. And the debt that you owe, I'm going to take that debt. Listen to this. Like there was a guy I sent a, a postcard, called me, left a voicemail. I called him back because we texted and he had some questions. So I just called him and I asked him, I said, you don't mind me asking. He, I gave him a price. It was like $3,700 is what the offer was. And it's worth about 20, 15 to 20. I said, um, if you don't mind me asking, like, why do you want to sell it? And he said, well, you know, I bought it for my dad recently. Not recently. I bought it for my dad a few years ago. I paid like five grand for it and I'm offering him 37. And uh, I, I kind of felt bad. I thought, oh, well, you know, I even said this to him. I said, you should probably just list it with an agent. Have you thought about that? Which is by, it's, it's a sales tactic too. I don't know what it's called, but like it's, it's a, it's kind of, it's called the takeaway close or something like yeah, that, right? Yeah. I said, well, you should probably just list it with an agent. That's going to get you the most price. You might be able to get more than five grand for it. And he said, no, I, I need to sell it. And I said, well, do you mind if I ask you why do you need to sell it so quick? And he said, well, he's got a wedding. His daughter's got a wedding coming up. And I gave him an offer to close. My offer to close was in three months. I gave myself three months to close. And he said, well, I just need it sooner than that. I need it two months instead of three months. I said, well, I didn't say yes right away. I said, well, boy, I don't know. Let me think about it, you know. Um, I said, well, I tell you, if, if we can, if I can, if I can move that closing date to what you need, can, can we sign the contract today? And he said, yeah, let's do it. So digital signature, boom, I've got it. So it's like, there's, it's crazy to think people, they just don't care. They don't live there. There's no emotional attachment mm-hmm. to the property, right? Exactly. Exactly. So and it happens all the time. Yeah. Every day there's more and more land that will be available. It's just not on the general market where everybody can see about it. So you just got to be able to kind of dig into that. And find those people who need your help, yeah. you know, and that's what I do. And every day I'm thinking like, damn, this is just going to run out. And every day I find another deal. And it's, it's really weird. It's really yeah. weird because as I said, things happen, people get divorced, they leave, they, you know, all types of stuff happens because life happens. Yeah. And as that happens, land is going to be available. And now something that was considered an asset to them is now seen, that same piece of property is now seen as a burden. I'm going to relieve that burden. And then once I own it, Maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I'll sell it to somebody else who needs that property to do something, to live their life, to build on it, to to rent it, to whatever they want. It's going to be theirs. And I facilitate that deal. So, yeah. All right. So what does your business look like today then? Uh, Do you you wholesale most of your properties? I still still buy all of them for the most part. The reason why I don't wholesale because it's too much work, to be honest. It's just too much work. Buying it is much easier. It's much faster. And I have a lot more flexibility what I do with the property. Now, with that said, I do have some, I do work with a couple of people who buy as soon as I have it. So it's almost wholesaling, but I'm just not taking their money to purchase a property or I'm not just assigning a contract. But like, as soon as I buy, I know it's going to be sold and I kind of know the price I'm going to get for it. And then me using my own money just to kind of speed things up, just kind of makes things happen. So that's what I do now. And if I, if it's a property that's like a lot more expensive, more out of my price range, then I'll link up with a funder and then do the same thing that way. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because a lot of people are wondering like, man, some of these I want to buy, but I don't have two grand or five grand to pay for. Them. All right. So some of the properties you, you, you'll buy it and hold it. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do with it then? Well, for the most part, I only hold it if I'm like, I'm like I think I'm going to use this for myself. But then I stopped doing that because I'm like, I'm not, let's, let's be honest. I'm just like the people who thought they were going to build a house on it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just going to sell it. So then my mindset, my mindset shifted from, hey, let me make sure I get the best you know, whatever to like, how can I make money fast? How can I do this quickly? Because before I had a job, I had income coming in. I didn't need the land stuff to do anything except just make me a little bit more extra money for what it would have been a car payment that never materialized. I never bought a car. 
But now I'm like, hey, I got I got two kids, I got a wife, I got a mortgage. I want to buy Fabergé eggs and fancy things and and all that. <laughs> um, so it's about, hey, how quickly can I sell this and make sure I'm making a good ROI on it? Yeah. So then I make sure that I do a lot of the work up front, meaning I'm buying it for the, the lowest price possible. That way I can pass on some of those savings on to the people who are going to buy it from me. And that ends up building up my buyers list pretty well because they know I'm going to give them a good price. And that way they keep coming back to me for more property. So, so you're wholesaling. The way I term wholesaling is um, you, you, you get it under contract, you buy it and you turn around and you sell it for cash to somebody else. Yes. So that's how you're doing most of your deals now? Yes. Yeah. I thought when you meant wholesaling, I was looking to find a buyer and a seller and get an assignment fee and yeah. all that. Yeah. I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that stuff. Okay. All right. So what's your, on, on an average month, how many deals will you buy and sell like that? It depends. So like right now I'm having about, about a couple of deals per, uh, about five per month or okay. so. Now that deal may be a bunch of properties together. It may be just one bigger lot. It just kind of depends on where I am, what's sure. going on. And then the speed that people move at. Now I do mostly self-closing that makes things go much faster, but there's times where I, I just, if I need to do like a quiet title suit or something like that, then I got to go through a title company and let them do their thing. Sometimes with certain sellers, they, they only will sell through a, a title company and some of these title companies are slow as molasses. So you just kind of wait for it. But in general, about a couple of deals per week. And again, nice. they could be of various sizes. I like the small deals. I like big deals. They're, they're, mm, mm, they're all good to me. All right. And then you're selling them. So you're buying them at about what? 25 cents on the dollar or something? Roughly. Yeah. I'll, depending on the, pra- the place and, and just uh, how hot the area is, I might go up to 50 cents on a dollar. But not much more. I don't do more than that. And then, what do you sell them? What about what price range do you sell them at? Depends. It, it could be four grand all the way up to fifty grand. You know, and everything in between. I'm last year. I tried to do less volume and more. You know, bigger bulk deals or just more. But then I realized that those small deals kind of keep things going faster. A lot of base hits. Yeah, you need a lot of base hits. So you know, you're not going to win the, uh, the World Series by just swinging for the fences every time you're at the plate. All right. So yeah, I do a lot of basics. You know, again, I tried to get away from that thinking I'm I'm too fancy for it. And I'm like, that's stupid. So get the base hits to get guys on base. And then like when your big slugger's at the bat, then he can bring them all home. And now a nice hybrid approach has actually been doing very well for me. Um, and it keeps me from being complacent, to be honest. All right. So what's your average profit on a deal? Usually about three X my money, usually. Right. And that's, you know, um, including my, like, you know, the, oh, I actually don't include the mailer in, in individual deals, but any back taxes, the price, um, you know, things that would facilitate the deal, you know, right. you know, things like that. So you, you might buy it for five and sell it for 15. Yeah. That's usually the goal. All right. So somebody who like, if you're selling a lot for 15 grand, you're trying to price it. So you sell it quickly, right? Mm-hmm. So are you, are you pushing the upper limits, like what is that property that you're selling for $15,000? What's it worth? It'll be around that ballpark. So let's say if I was wanting to hold out, I might be able to get like 17 for it. Okay. Right. Or, you know, just around there, you know, or 15 and like, you know, Hey, all, you know, no negotiation, just 15, take it or leave it. But depending on who I'm buying, I'm selling to, like if it's a, a person that's been buying for me for many, many years, I'll cut them a break. So I buy for five and sell for, for 15. I might sell for 13. This is like, Hey, You've been good to me. You've gave me thousands of dollars over the years. What's two thousand dollars extra when you're about to sell, about to buy some more stuff for me in a, in a couple of weeks? So I'll do stuff like that. Um, but when it's somebody that I don't know and is reading, I'm like, no, give me the price. Unless you're ready to take, make a deal right now, 
I'm not negotiating with you. You haven't seen the property. You're not serious about buying. I'm not going to discuss anything except let's take a look at it. But in general, I, I usually get my asking price if I'm, if I'm not buying or excuse me, selling to like one of my regular people. Okay. So if you don't mind me asking, like your average profit per month, your average revenue, I'd rather, what's your average revenue per month? So right now I'm aiming for 30, but so far, at least in 2022, it's been at like 22, 23, or actually 24. So right before I got on this, I just sold some property to a buyer, one of my regular guys. I wanted to list it for 15. He's like, well, you know, what's the, what, what can you do for me? I'm like, all right, we can do 13. So I'm on track. To, to my 30. I'm about to buy a couple more right after this. I got to go to the bank to get some checks made. But I will say about 20, between 20 and 24. Per That's month. phenomenal. Yeah. That's yeah. phenomenal. And those are, you're selling these deals for cash right now. Correct. And somebody's going to somebody's gonna say, well, why don't you sell any with owner financing so you can get passive cash flow or whatever? What would you say to them? Because number one, it's not really passive. Why? Because when I did that, I'm still working. Hey, where's my money? Oh, I can't, I don't got it today. Hey, what's going on here? Uh, I don't know. Hey, I have this automated system set up where it takes, you know, it, it charges your credit card. Da, da, da. Oh, my credit card is dead. There, it's craziness. It's craziness, right? Now, again, there's times where I have to do that because of a certain property just doesn't move as fast as I want. I'm like, fine, take it. I just need to get some money back so I can get my next piece or whatever it is. But in general, cash is the escape velocity you need to get away from your job. Yeah. As I said earlier, I'm not going to escape my job unless I have like 50 deals under my belt. And now I've got to manage 50 deals. Why would I do that when I can just in and out and have, if I started with 5,000 and I'll have 15,000 in my hand, why would I not take that? Why do I want to stretch that out to get an extra couple of hundred bucks? Don't make any sense to me. That's not going to help me get my next property. That's not going to help me scale. That's not going to help me pay any bills. That's just for vanity reasons to talk to your friends. Hey, I got some money coming in every month. Okay. So do I. It's called a, it's called a nine to five job. <laughs> there was a period of time in 2012, 2013, 14, when I was wholesaling a ton of houses and it was kind of passive, actually. I mean, people, and I loved the wholesaling aspect of it. Our average profit was 7,500 or so, but I had the team that was doing the work, right? I had a virtual assistant that was doing the marketing, taking the calls. I had a local wholesaler that was closing the deals. My involvement was not much. And so, you know, wholesaling, is an active type of income, right? But you can also set it up where it's passive and it's not that much work. And what's wrong with work anyway, right? All right. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. And like, if I did um, got got some VAs or something like that, uh, I, I guarantee you, or having the uh, going the, the that passive route, you know, it wouldn't probably be so bad. But personally, I like kind of doing it myself, not because I'm I, I'm a perfectionist and it's got to be done my way. I mean, sure, there's. There was elements of that in the past, but not these days. I don't really, it's, it's not the same thing, but I do know I haven't maximized my potential in doing this. I know people who are doing about half a million a year doing the same methods because my, my mentor is telling me about some other students and all that and, and what he's personally doing. They don't use any VAs, right? My job is to use technology to make things easier for me. So the only thing I'm really doing is, is I'm vetting deals. And then when people call me, I'm just figuring out where are they in the buyer's journey so I can direct them to the to doing the next step to get them closer to a yes or no decision to buy from me. So now is the machines, computers, and just systems and processes are kind of taking over a lot of the things I do. Still, there are certain things I, I do on my own and, you know, having an LLC, you know, only I can sign over the property because I'm the only one in it. But eventually, I'll get a partner and they can do that too. But yeah, like once I maximize my potential, what I could do alone, I'm about to hire, I'm, I'm hire a bunch of people. So I don't have to do it anymore. It's kind of like a, I guess it's the athlete in me. 
want to see how far I can take this before I like, all right. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you what who is on your team right now? Just me. Just nice. me, my computer, my coding skills. Keep it small, keep it all. Mm-hmm. Right? That's something cool about that. All right. So can we talk about your marketing? What are you sure. doing to find these deals right now? Well, I let the I let the market dictate where to find the deals I like. And what do I mean by that is that I see how much I have to invest and what areas will support that investment. So I use regular I act I put my consumer hat on like I'm a regular Joe Blow. I want to buy some property for various reasons. What does a Joe Blow do? They go to Google. They're like, hey, land in whatever area, or they go to Zillow, mm-hmm. or they go to Landwatch. They just go to p- regular ass places. Yeah. And I do the same thing. I'm like, where are places that property is selling for maybe three or four X my investment amount? So if I have 5,000 to invest, where are places that are selling property for 15 to 20 at the minimum? And I look and I find those places and that will give me a nice clue to dig deeper. And then once there, then I can look into Okay, what's the county like to work with? What's actually, you know, give me some soul comps, give me some, you know, just some more information. And then I can decide, you know what? Looks good. Let's just let's send the campaign out. Let's, let's, let's see what we can find out here. So you're looking for rural vacant land. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, an hour or two outside of a major city. And it's going to be land generally that um, they're not infill lots. They're not, not agricultural land. You're looking for places maybe where people will buy to go. Have re- recreation, uh, camping, hunting, fishing, place to shoot their guns, ride their four wheelers, things like that, right? Everything. I don't discriminate against land. Infill lots, big lots, small lots. Like I'm like I'm like uh, what's his name from from Forest Gump, Bubba. You know the different types of shrimp. Um, that's the same thing. I right. like it all as long as I can get it for a cheap enough price, and I know uh, somebody else is going to buy it on the back end. I'll take it. All right. So, what do you prefer, like infill lots in small towns, or do you prefer bigger lots out in the country? Info lots are more plentiful, so they're easier, but I like the bigger stuff better. So I guess I like them for different reasons. One is the amount of work from infill lots of acquiring them, selling them, and then finding out what you can and can't do with them. It's pretty simple. It's a three or four minute phone call. And then once you understand a subdivision, now you just plunder that subdivision for as much as you can. The big lots were like, you can do anything you want. The big acreage sounds nice. It's like, you know, a big fancy gold chain around your neck. Oh my God, I own 40 acres in Texas. You know, that, that carries some clout. So people like that too. And that's, that's easier to like get a lot more eyeballs on your, on your listings. And then you can build your buyers list, even the people who don't buy. So again, I like it for different reasons. There's a lot of info lots, but then, you know, you get the bigger lots too. Okay. And what kind of marketing do you like to send out? Is it direct mail or texting or what? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Okay. All direct mail, text, uh, ringless voicemail, email. I do it all. You're doing it all. Do it all. Okay. Can we talk honestly about this? Yes. All right. Let's talk about it. I'm on the fence, man. I see so many guys that are crushing it doing direct mail. I'm sorry, doing texting and voice blasting or voice ringless voicemail. Mm-hmm. But the other side of me, the analytical overanalyze everything side is like, yeah, that's a little gray area, right? Like I hear too many people getting in trouble for it or there's all these rules and regulations. And so where do you, where do you stand with all that? The rules and re- I'm not worried about the rules and regulations at this moment. But I do understand how it's a problem because this is why we can't have nice things. Somebody's always ruining for everybody else. So in my opinion, how you message what you're doing goes a lot further. It goes a long way. What I do is I wrote my own texting software and that way I can use a lot of the, and, and honestly, the stuff I do, I think you can do with any CRM, any texting stuff. So I, I'm not going to act like my stuff is special. It's not. It's just, you know, I don't got to pay for something every month beside the regular phone bill. But what happens is I can customize a message 
going forward and I can make sure I'm as polite as possible and don't sound like I'm a robot. And then when people think I am a robot, I will personally respond like, hey, I'm not a robot. I'm just looking to buy your property. And they're like, oh, okay. And then, you know, we'll have a conversation. Oh, it's sold already or you got the wrong number or whatever it is. With that said, I teach my students to do texting first. Most of the, no, depending, it actually depends on what their work schedule is like and all that. But if I tell them to go texting, the reason why, number one, it's much cheaper and you get immediate feedback. So that way, you know, if your pricing is in line, you understand what what type of um, sellers you're dealing with in the market. And, you know, so people are saying, no, you have an understanding why. When I send out a mailer, which is still very effective, I don't know why people aren't calling. I can only make assumptions. And usually I was like, all right, maybe I just offer a little bit more money. Let's try it again. So that's why I like the texting stuff. And But again, when I'm polite, my message doesn't sound like it came from a robot. I actually have conversations with those who want to converse with me. I don't worry about getting in trouble. I don't worry about that. And the good thing is, like, let's say I do like 100 texts a day. I'm not speaking to 100 people. 50 or so or more may not reply at all. A lot, a couple will say, hey, wrong number. A few will be like, no, I'm not selling for any price. And you have like two or three that's like, now we're actually having a conversation of like, okay, well, how much are you offering? Well, this is what I'm thinking. This is, so you're doing that. So it's not even that much work. And because of that, I don't, I don't really worry about it. So what is your, you, you mix your texts up, I'm sure, right? Mm-hmm. Are you finding it harder with deliverability to get them through? Or what are you doing there? I kind of just don't care. Okay. Because, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit them on, with every avenue that I have at my disposal. First is texting, then the ringless voicemail. And for me personally, ringless voicemail has done, hasn't done anything for me. But I do it just in case. It's cheap. It is easy. Texting, ringless voicemail. If there's an email available, I'll send it. But usually those bounce back as invalid emails. And then I'm going to send them a, a postcard anyways. So I'm hitting it from different angles. And the reason why I'm willing to do that, knowing that sometimes the postcard is going to be what gets it, is because the more times they hear my name and they see me trying to contact them, the more they more comfortable they get with the idea of me looking to buy their property. Also, certain people will not respond to text, but they will to a postcard and some will respond to a text faster than a postcard. So, you know, you don't know who or who's going to do what or who's going to say what. So you just get them with everything you got. So that way you you cover all your bases. Okay. What are the what are some of the tricks you use, if you don't mind sharing, for getting that initial text to be delivered? Is it, hey, is this Jim? Or are you saying things like, um, hey, do you you know, I'm looking for Jim who owns his 4.2 acre lot in X County. All right. So everybody write this down because this is something, uh, this is going to be good. I say, first, I just take their first name. Hey, John, my name is Victor. I'm looking to, um, I see from public records, you owe some vacant land in XYZ County. Just, you know, and, and if I know they owe some back taxes, and look, it looks like you may owe some taxes too. Would you, are you thinking about selling that property? That's your initial text. My initial text. Wow. And then- if they don't answer the next day, I'll be like, hey, is this John Smith? Do I have the right number? Then if they didn't answer the first one, don't answer that second one, right? If they don't answer the second one, then I'm like, all right, well, I'll just send them a voicemail and then send them a letter in a minute. But if they answer that second one, then I'm all right, cool. We're in a conversation. Why do I want to do that? Even if they're saying no, because I want to know, do I have the right number? Do I have the right person? Do I understand who I'm talking to? You know, what's going on? I, I don't want to be in limbo sending them a postcard knowing they don't want to sell. So I try to find out as much as I can as cheaply as possible. And again, when people text back saying like stop or you know whatever, I'm like, hey, I'm not a robot. I'm a real dude. And it's, it's real. The phone number I text from is an actual phone number. They call me, I answer it. Or they, they can leave a message and I'll say, you know, give me your information and all that. 
but it's a real phone. It ain't, you know, I'm not a robot. It's not a seven or a four or five digit number. It's a real number. So there's that. And because of that, it works very well. Now I play with the wording, you know, I, I change things up during my, I don't need land investing days. I studied ad copy. I studied marketing. So I take a lot of the lessons I learned there and I try to apply it. I do the same thing with my postcard as well. And I just try different things just to see what works. Just to see yeah. what people respond to. And right now that's what's responding. The two message approach, the first day, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. You know, I make it polite. The second day, I, I just want to make sure I got the right person. Is this the right number? And it works pretty well. I haven't had much people really complain. Nice. Okay. Then your, your, your direct mail, mm-hmm. are you sending blind offers? Or are you sending a neutral letter? I always send the range. I'm like, look. The range. Um, I'm looking to pay between this and this. If you want to sell, I make sure I pay you up front. You'll get paid in a few days. It's a quick and easy painless process. I take care of everything. If not, do not call me. (laughs) I don't need nobody asking questions that are not looking to sell. (laughs) Right. And but if I know they owe back taxes, they get a completely different one. They get something like, hey, you owe some back taxes. If you don't pay this, the county's going to offer your property off. Call me up. I got something for you. Right. So there's no offer with the taxes one. But with the ones that they don't owe taxes or at least don't owe enough for it to be like an actual motivating factor. I'm like, hey, this is the, this is a range. If this range works for you, give me a call. If not, have a good day. I've never done that and I want to try it. Um, lately, I've done blind offers before and it worked okay. But I've been sending neutral letters or neutral postcards. And I have a reference number on there and I'll say, listen, if you want to sell your lot, call this 24-hour recorded voicemail. And leave your reference number and I'll do some research and send you an offer back. And I will um, respond to that offer, to that, I'll, I'll respond to that voicemail with a text. I'll text that number back. So I'll text the offer to that number and I'll also send them an offer in the physical mail. And uh, the last three deals I've done, it's from that just by mm-hmm. texting and emailing them. Sometimes people just don't want to talk to anybody, which is totally fine, right? Yeah. Um, they just, you, you can you can get deals under contract by texting. It's the craziest thing, right? You don't. Sometimes you do talk to them, but sometimes you don't have to. Here's a couple of deals I did. It was all texting. I never talked to the person once. Sometimes when I send a postcard, they'll just text me and they'll give yeah. you the reference number because I do something similar. Because a lot of times people, the you know, if they're saying on a voicemail, you don't know what you're saying, or like they have a very common name where it's hard to know. Like, okay, which John Smith is this? So the reference number, I can look it up and yeah. you know do my my quick due diligence is to say, okay, this is what I'm negotiating about. Got it. Nice. Yeah. Like I I try to do things quick, simple and direct because the more hoops I put people through, the less likely they're going to buy. Cause I remember early on, I was making those, I was making mistakes where I'm like, well, you got to send me this first and then I'm going to send you that as in like, they agreed to sell. I'm going to send you a deed. You send me the deed. Then I send you a check. And I'm like, they're like, wait, why would I do that? I'm like, yeah, why would you do that? So, you know, I try to make things easier, but then there's ways to mitigate any damages. And so far, things have been working. I haven't had any issues with how I do things. And again, the quicker and easier it is for them, the less likely they're going to say no, the less likely they're going to have some random weirdo in their mind. Oh, you're going to sell your property for 500? I would have bought it for that. Right. You don't want to hear all that because then it messes up the deal. Right. So the faster they have the stuff in their hands, the quicker they're like, I guess guess I'm doing this. Here you go. All right. So can we talk about some of this? I know you built your own software. But for people that you're teaching or coaching on how to do this, do you give them your software or what do you tell them? What do you recommend people use? I always start them simple with like, hey, just get a Google spreadsheet because I know that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to stick with at least until they actually get 
a couple of deals. Because early on, the main thing is just getting somebody to say yes, right? You're trying to get one deal. You don't need a fancy setup to get one deal. So I'm like, hey, spreadsheet, this is how you do it. When you're texting, have two lists. One that you get, you actually paid for from like, you know, data tree, prop stream, or that you created yourself. And I tell I show you, you can do it yourself for free. And then all the people who respond, yes or no, or maybe so, you put them in a verified, I got them list. Those are the people, like they say no now, you hit them up again in three months, six months, whatever, with the direct information and see where they're at. That method seems to work. And then as people start to mature through the process, then they find their own like services or CRMs or, you know, they everybody's different. So they have a different way of wanting to work. So I don't want to put my software down their throats because enough people do that already. And then now you not only, you know, it's just another revenue stream, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, go make your money. It's all good. It's just one more thing. I was like, I don't want you to worry about anything else but just making this deal, learning these skills so you can pick what you want and to make the rest of the best decision for you. Because the software is not going to get a deal done. You're going to get the deal done. So let me show you how to do that. Nice. Okay. So for the, uh, um, I know some guys that are using batch leads for texting. They're doing really well with it. I've heard some people in the land business doing REI reply. I used to use FreedomSoft for a lot of outbound texting, but FreedomSoft just really kind of pulled the reins in on that. They don't like people using FreedomSoft for outbound texting. So you use your own software, but I'm, I'm, maybe I missed it. If somebody wants to do texting for their own land investing business, what are you telling them to use? Sly text, because that's what I started with. Sly text, okay. Yeah, so like, like your sly. Slytext.com. And then my ringless voicemail is still Sly Broadcast. So it's the same yeah. company, two different web pages. Oh, it is really? Yeah. Or I, I, at least the branding and everything looks the same. I think it's the same. I could be wrong. They can just look similar and just both be in the sly thing. I don't know. But yeah, the, with slide text, it's just a web page, which is the downside of it as well, because it's not like an app where you can easily have those conversations. So you got to be on the web page. You upload a list. You know, they have the different um, tags or variables that you can put like, hey, you know, hashtag name and it'll put the name of the person from the spreadsheet you uploaded or whatever. Okay. So you, you can do that. And then it's like, all right, do it. You can do it, uh, you know, hey, do it at this time or do it right now. And then just wait for people to, to hit you back. Okay, nice. And so it's probably a lot more, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, for like 2,000 texts, I think it was like 30 or 40 bucks, maybe 50 bucks. Okay, all right, cool. All right, let's talk about, you have a lot of clients now who are wanting to buy, they want to get into the business and they want to wholesale. In other words, they want to flip it for cash. Mm-hmm. But they're like, where am I going to get the money to buy this lot for $2,000 that's worth $15,000. What do you, what do you tell them? Well, every person's different. So I always have like a frank conversation with them. And I'm like, listen, you know, where you're at, you got to be thinking X, Y, and Z. So there's a couple of ways you can do this. One, get a job, just work for it, make some money. So now, you know, whatever, right. That doesn't all work for everybody. I'm like, number two, sell some stuff. You got a bunch of crap around your house. You want to use it, sell it. Don't worry. If you really want it, you'll get it back from the money you're making. Right. But normally I'm like, or find all the people who owe a lot of taxes and hit them up because you can buy their property. Sure, as you should buy for two thousand if it's current. But how much taxes they owe? You'll buy for fifty bucks, right? Now you can actually use that and then sell that. And then as the as you sell it, you can either a hey, Mister Person, I'm selling the property to now. This property has two thousand dollars in back taxes, hence why the price is so low. Do you want to take that on? Or you don't tell them that. As they pay you, do you use that to pay off the back taxes before you sign it over to them? Yeah. Either way, it ain't you're you're only you're only fifty bucks out of the deal. 
I've gotten a couple properties that way. A couple of my students did. One of my students, his first two properties were like that. One was for 75 bucks, one was for 85 bucks. And they're both worth, you know, 3,000. Others were for like closer to 10,000. So yeah, whatever works. But then he started to do some door dashing and all that to bring in some extra yeah. income. So there's different options, but you just, just got to keep it real with yourself. Like, what are you going to do? You going to complain or are you going to, you know, do it? I'm looking here at PropStream and I know you can get vacant land on mm-hmm. PropStream, right? Mm-hmm. Can you also add as a filter to that delinquent taxes? No, that's the one thing I haven't found a place that will just give you the delinquent taxes the same way you can get like the different parcels numbers and all that from like PropStream or DataTree. Now, even DataTree has a thing in there, where you can get, but it, it's, it doesn't always have it available, right? So it all depends. So for the delinquent taxes and like, this is what I say, listen, you ain't got no money. You have to do it this way. Build the list by hand. Don't pay for no data tree. Don't pay for no prop stream. I mean, it's only they probably nine seven bucks, but don't worry about that. Build it by hand. I show them how to do that. And that way, you can hand select properties that are more likely to, you know, for people that you will feel would sell to you. But then, as you're doing that, find out how much they owe. Yes, it's going to take some time. Yes, it's tedious. Yes, it's boring. But you know what else sucks? Being broke, having a lifestyle that you're mad at and you're punching the air right now. Because you ain't got no money to do anything. Uh So you can complain about doing tedious work or you can work outside in the hot sun, swinging a hammer and doing physical labor. I'd rather be inside doing tedious work with my mouse and taking about 30 or 40 names a day Uh of people who are going to sell to me and all that. And finding out they owe, they're complaining about, you know, not being fast. Right. You you ain't got no money. You ain't got no. How are you going to complain? So, yeah, that's what I tell them. I'm looking here at PropStream. I'll have to show this to you later. But I just did a search for vacant land in one of my counties in North Carolina. And I I've, I went to the filter and there's a, an option for tax delinquent year. Oh. And it asks for a start year and an end year. And I just did 1900 to 2022. And it worked. Wow. They're I adding 1,000 to PropStream. Yeah. Let me, let me do like 2012 to 2022. I would do 2012 like 20... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually good. Yeah. So I did the last 10 years. In this one county, I have a 1,000 properties. Now, this is, uh, it could be a quarter acre lot. It could be a 500 acre lot. I didn't do any more characteristics than that. But it's just the list choices was vacant land and uh, tax delinquent year 2012 to 2020. Wow. This might be something I got to look into. That's a game changer. That might be good. That's a game. I, I stopped using PropStream to go to DataTree, but something like that, mm, mm. Mm. <laughs> maybe, maybe now. Yeah. So here's one that there was a tax delinquency in 2018. Um, one thing, you know, when I was looking into this at one time, um, I was looking at the properties that had just come on. No, no. I was looking at properties that were tax delinquent three, four years ago. And, uh, then I, I, I thought, well, they, cause they were paid right before the auction. They were taken care of or whatever. Right. But guess what? Every single year, most of those properties are laid again on their taxes. <laughs> Right. So it doesn't matter if the taxes were paid off and are current now, they're probably going to be late again. So always send any tax delinquent list that you can get. It's a great list to send to. Yes. Um, all right. So cool. I got to ask you some more questions. Man, this has been good. We're over an hour. Do you self close your deals? Most of them, yes. Okay. Is there like a price limit where you use a title company? I used to go by the old adage 5K and up title. Now it's more about. How well do I know the area? How easily can I find the the the, cha- the title chain? And do I see anything fishy? Now, what I mean by fishy is I 
Oh, okay, you bought this at a tax auction. Okay, eh, I can't sell no war. I can't sell no warranty deed with this. I got to you know do something like that. Other times it's like okay, like for one, I'm buying now for nine thousand. I was going to do a self closing, but the 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 little old woman can't find any of the paperwork that she needs. And I so I tried to look for it, and I'm like, okay, I'm finding some of the stuff. I'm like, you know what? I don't feel like dealing with this. So title company, you handle it. And she felt much better with that too. Yeah, so yeah. that actually was like a mutual. Well, thing it's just taking forever in a day. I'm so still do, you just, do you just find a local title company in that area to help? Yeah, you? yeah. I'm just like, hey, because I mean, even if I have like one person or whatever a company, they're just going to farm it out to the local area anyway. So, okay. Uh, HOAs. Let's talk about that. Do you? Does that scare you? Do you turn it away? Used from to. When I was a little, when I was a little baby, it don't scare me anymore. You huh? know why? Because right. I know the type of person who will want to buy in an HOA area. Now it depends on the area. There's some places that have an HOA and they're defunct and it's, it looks like Sanford and Son Junkyard. I don't mess with them. That's a mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. But if it's an area that is high class, well-maintained houses that are in the HOA, all you know, near some great amenities that aren't just, you know, on paper great, but actually physically great, then yeah. So there's a couple places in Texas that I bought from that had HOA, and one HOA was 700 bucks a year. Now, if you'd have wow. told me that a couple of years ago, I would have ran for the hills. I'm like, all right, I'm, I, it didn't phase me. Why? And then I ended up selling that property because it's such a desirable area. I sold it in three weeks wow. to a brand new market. I didn't have any previous buyers or anything like that. And I sold it for exactly what I wanted. I probably undersold it now that I think about it. But I was like, hey, I'm more than triple my money. And because of that same HOA, I bought a couple of those properties for 250 bucks a piece because they owed so much with the HOA liens. So then I called the HOA myself, like, hey, what could you do to work with me? I'm about to buy this property. And they brought it down a little bit. Not enough to be like, oh my God, this is a steal, but it was enough where I was still paying what I was willing to pay HOA or not, or lien or not. Uh, got the liens removed, sold it. So, I, you know, again, tripled my money. It was great. Nice. Okay, good, good. How do you advertise your homes? Where do you put them out there? I put them, I put them you, everywhere. Not your homes, your, your vacant Yeah. And let's get a, I just got a lead from landwatch.com as you said that. Um, <laughs> Landwatch, obviously. I like Zillow a lot because you get analytics as well. I have my own web page, but I don't do it like everybody else. I don't let people browse around like I'm Amazon.com. It's if you're interested in one property, this is the only web page you get. There is no links. There is nothing. It's just call me, send me an email, or view it yourself. View the property yourself. Sometimes I do a pay-per-click campaign. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll do Facebook Marketplace. Sometimes I don't. Right? Those are the digital ways. And I still have the old school ways. Neighbor letters a sale, first sale sign on the property, which works yeah. surprisingly well. Nicer properties, I'll get a drone video done and all that. Usually after that, that's pretty much it. And I'll just get a bunch of leads. And what most people don't understand about sales, it's not about where you put the property up. Yeah, you got to put it places so people know you exist, but it's how you deal with the leads. How do you cultivate buyers? Do you understand the buyer's journey or not? Do yeah. you, is everybody a tire kicker to you? If it is, it's probably you're doing something wrong. Everybody's a tire kicker at first because they don't know if you're legit or not. They don't know yeah. if the property's going to work for them or not. So of course yeah. you're going to kick tires. But how do you relate, treat that relationship to cultivate it? Because even if they don't buy property A, they might buy property D, E, or F later on down the line if you keep that relationship right. People don't want to do that. They want they want they want things to happen for them. They're wondering why they have a property for six months in the market and no one's buying. All right, good. You've answered almost all of my questions. This has been really good, Victor Reynolds. And I apologize for taking you longer. I'm already late for some other calls, meetings that I had, but this has been so good. Now you have a great Facebook group. It's called Land Investing for Professional Millennials. Talk about this group and why did you do it? 
Well, going back to my story in 2020, when I was kind of just re- getting back on my feet and everything else, as I said, it was a pandemic and people are like, oh, you know, this seems good. You're turning things around. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm having, I have this land. I have this land thing. I have this land thing, right? I'm having these separate conversations. I'm like, maybe I just put a group together. I can just kind of do that there and have people learn from me there. And I can just, you know, you know, go in there, say what I'm doing, kind of share what I'm doing. And that now they can see and they can understand. And then like, since I did so much personal development, I'm still in it. Not like I did it and I'm done. I'm, I'm heavy on that. I can sprinkle a lot of that in there. So the land is like the ice cream, but the personal development is like the real medicine that's hidden in the ice cream. So I have that going and people are starting to learn from there or people who are in the land space, they get to share their stuff and hear how I do things. So as you can see, I do things a little bit differently. That's how I kind of how I stand out above the noise. So just having that going on and hear what other people are doing, that excitement gets me going. It gets other people going, especially if you're brand new to this. You're like, I didn't know this was possible. And you're still kind of in the wait and see mode, but you're seeing what I'm doing, you're seeing what others are doing. It kind of makes the tide that lists all the boats. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of what's going on. Land investing for professional millennials. If you just go to Facebook, do a search for that. Land investing for professional millennials and put in a request to join. You got to be approved. You don't let mm-hmm. any any dingling in the group. You got to no. have to. You got to be, yeah, yeah, be good. So here's the thing. If you put in your email, I'm going to send you a training. It's going to be, it's a free training, obviously. It's about an hour and a half of everything I do and how I do it. And then how to actually get started right now with action. Do these things and you will start to your land investing journey. Um, and you can also give me your phone number. It's all in there as you're looking to join. Nice. And if you're looking to get mentorship or something, we'll have a, a brief conversation. I can tell you more about it and want to know about you. You can learn about me and we can see. Nice. Victor Reynolds, thank you so much. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks for sharing your stuff. And I want to wish you the best of success, man. Oh, I appreciate it. This is, this is very fun. I enjoy this a lot. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, I love talking about land. All right, so we'll see you guys later. Thank you, everybody. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go to Joe McCall. Do a search for YouTube there. And uh, we'll see you guys later. Take care. Thanks, Victor. Thank you.